Seattle and West Des Moines. From the Jethro's Barbecue Studios, now featuring Happy Mondays with two-for-one Happy CBD Cocktails, this is Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. For 75 years, EMIC has been doing the right thing for its customers, employees, and the community. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Welcome back here. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3 KXNO. Ken had a duck out for the final hour of the show today. He'll be back with us, though, tomorrow morning at 10 next hour. You got me, but luckily not just me. We got a lot more people to talk to, including Rob Doster, joining us from Field of 68. Kickoff hour number two with the little Foo Fighters. And, Rob, we are of the same era. I got a couple of years on you, but... Foo Fighters, the news over the weekend, their drummer, Taylor Hawkins, passing away. One of my favorite bands. I have tickets for them playing up in Minneapolis at the end of the summer. Don't know if that's still going to happen, but uh, certainly sad news. You a Foo Fighters guy? Right now. Um, I used to be a bigger Foo Fighters fan than I am right now. Uh, the color and the shape was, I think that was the first CD that I ever bought. Oh, wow. Uh, the first album that I ever bought, yeah. I mean, that's that's awful news. I can I can't imagine planning like an entire tour around uh, around like to South America the way they did, and then having one of the members of the band uh, pass away while you were on that trip. It's just uh, I can't even imagine what those guys are going through. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> devastating, and yeah, kind of a, an era that has been continued. You know, that was one of the bands that I said never saw them live. So excited to get those tickets and. You know, it's such a group that was easy to root for. Dave Grohl, of course, starting with Nirvana, one of the the bands of my youth that I absolutely loved, and and what he morphed into and turned into as a lead man, and, and to see that and to you know go through this now for a second time for Dave Grohl, of course, uh, with Kurt Cobain with Nirvana, and now with Taylor Hawkins, just absolutely gut wrenching, absolutely terrible. And and what can, more can you say? We're we're not here to talk uh, drumming or Foo Fighters or anything else, but just some devastating news I know for people of our era. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's sad. Man. Um, I didn't even really. I, I didn't even think about how um, Dave Grohl has now dealt with this twice. Yeah, that's just <laughs> poor guy. Man. That's tough. Unthinkable. Well, a weekend that, in the basketball side of things, certainly did not pan out the way I think a lot of people hoped. We got four games in the Elite Eight that were all pretty meh. I guess the closest of them, Arkansas, maybe had a chance there, but Duke was too much. The Houston Villanova game was a. Well, what you'd anticipate a Houston game would turn out to be. We didn't get maybe the storylines we were hoping for, but ultimately, if you would have said before this tournament, this is going to be your Final Four, I think most everybody would have signed up for what we get here. Yeah, you know, before the tournament, I was talking about how I wanted to see Coach Cal and uh, and Coach K end up playing in the NCAA tournament um, with, with Coach K's final game on the line. I didn't even think it would be possible that we could get, uh, we'd get North Carolina being the team that they would face in the final four chance to end coach k's career think about that for a second end coach k's career north carolina can do it it's it, there's there's going to be more uh more storylines here than i think that anyone's going to be able to tolerate and i i i'm i'm just dreading the fact that we now have six days that we have to talk about New carolina and talk about um coach k and talk about this matchup i, I just i wish we could fast forward time skip ahead in time, skip ahead all of the previous conversation and just go to 
6 o'clock on Saturday night because I am so jacked up for this Final Four. And in that game, you're right. We're going to overanalyze it. We're going to probably put too much into what we saw in Durham. Maybe we're going to put too much into what we saw in Game 1 between the two teams in Chapel Hill. This feels like a different Carolina team, but maybe more importantly, this also feels like a different Duke team than we saw just a couple of weeks ago. The way they get knocked out of the ACC tournament by Vatek in the championship game where they just weren't competitive. The defense was atrocious, so what was it? it? It can't just be slap in the floor. What made Duke so different defensively here during the last two weeks? Uh, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily what they're doing defensively that's changed everything. To me, it is the the emergence of Jeremy Roach. You know, Jeremy Roach becoming a point guard that can uh, really control games and make plays down the stretch and, and take the pressure off of all the other guys on this roster. Like that's that's what's changed for me with this Duke group. You know, I I don't even know if they're really that great defensively still. Um, I, I worry about certain matchups, and I'm never going to trust a team that is loaded with that many freshmen to be a great defensive team. But when you have that point guard and Jeremy Rose able to make plays, and you have Paolo Bancaro taking advantage of the mismatches that he has, and you have Mark Williams inside. You know, AJ Griffin, he's making shots. Like that is a good team. And and look, they they came of age. I think it was the combination of getting embarrassed by North Carolina and then having the potential for that to happen again in the second round. They get down by five or five minutes left against Michigan State and then come back and hit a couple big shots and win that game. Um, I think that was uh, – I mean, this is very, like, narrative-driven and kind of looking back and, and, and all that. But, I mean, that's when they were like, you know what? We're, we're actually better than all of you guys. We're, we're, the, we're the most talented team here. So, to me, I think – look, there's a team of destiny, man. I, I really do think that they're going to find a way to just kind of put it all together and win the national title here. Ben Caro is a guy that's been on the scene for a number of years. He was one of the top players, if not the top player in his class. He's been talked about. And boy, that Texas Tech game, I think, for me, he really came of age. Against that tough defense, Duke's hitting shots as they did against Michigan State down the stretch. Him coming out of the huddle and winking at the CBS cameras. It just it felt like maybe it all came together. And a lot of the questions that were out him about him going to the next level. I think he answered them certainly that night and, and going forward. If you are using a top three pick on Ben Carroll, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think that really emphasizing him kind of in those mid-post areas has been something that Coach K has been doing in this tournament so far, and it's something that I think that he really needed to do. Like They, they didn't do it in the loss to North Carolina at home, right? Um, and I think that that's what you need to be able to do. Just at the end of the day, you're, you, you don't have anyone in college basketball that can stop him. And I think in this North Carolina game, uh, Brady Manning, look, great player. I think that he is the influence that has kind of changed what this uh, what this uh, North Carolina season has been. Like, he's the guy that's turned it around, his leadership, his presence on the floor, his locker room uh, persona. Um, the fact that you have a guy that's been around as long as Brady Manning has been around, like his He's been so much more valuable to North Carolina than I think people realize. Uh, but he's going to have to go up against Paolo, and it's going to be basically one-on-one. And I think that matchup right there is going to be what determines who wins uh, who, who wins this game in the Final Four. And I think Paolo's probably going to get the best of it. North Carolina talent hasn't been a problem, but you got your number one, of course, of Hubert taking over. You had some ugly performances, getting clubbed by Tennessee early in the season. That was kind of an eye-opener. Oh, boy, uh, what this team happened. And then what happened against Kentucky, getting beat by nearly 30 in that game. It, it, it took a long time to click, but it's certainly clicking right now. And I think you can argue, is it Baycott? Is it Manic? Is it Love? Who's the most important player on this team? They got three of them. That's a pretty good start. 
So, I, you know, I think that the the most important guy, like their best player is probably Armando Baycott, yeah. right? And I think that um, the two things that have really kind of uh, elevated North Carolina has been R.J. Davis taking over more of the point guard duties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, the fact that, um, that you know, Leaky Black has kind of embraced this role uh, of defensive stopper. And, and, you know, like I said, Brady Manick, when, when Dawson goes, I think what happened is, is – Brady Manick didn't really feel like we, we talked about it on the show. Before. Um, it, 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 there was a lack of leadership on this North Carolina team. Like they would get punched in the mouth and they had no answer. They'd be getting run out of the game or run out of the gym. And there was no one. Okay. Enough of this. Uh, it, this is not the way that it's going to end up going. We need to turn this around. We need to stop this right now. And Brady has kind of been that voice. And I think it took him a while to adjust to the fact that one, you know, he's a fifth year senior transferring in, from Kansas, a football school, into the basketball school in the country, right? Um, I think it took him a while to kind of figure out that, like, hey, I'm allowed to get out here and say what needs to be said because I'm, I'm, I'm old, I'm the veteran, I've been around the block, I can hold these kids accountable. Um, and it's hard to do that. It's hard to have that voice and that presence and that confidence in the locker room when you're a six-man playing 18 to 20 minutes a game there's a guy starting over you. Uh, I think when Dawson Garcia left and – Brady had to step into that starting lineup role. I think that's when things really changed for North Carolina because all of a sudden you have this voice and this presence and this guy that's going to hold everyone accountable, willing to do it and having the confidence to be able to do it and step up and, you know, cut Caleb Love out if he takes a bad shot or cut Ramon Baycott out if he misses a box or misses a rebound, you know? So I think that that, his presence has been uh, very important. But to me, the X fact, like, if you get good Caleb Love, I don't know how you beat this North Carolina team. If Caleb Love shows up and he's the guy that's scoring 25 on 15 shots and making threes and getting to the rim and making smart decisions with how good Baycott's been and how good R.J. Davis has been and Brady Manick making shots, like that, that is a very, very, very good and very talented North Carolina team. And frankly, seeing what they are right now kind of shows you how disappointing they were early in the season. Rob Doster joining us, Field of 68. Well, to get there, North Carolina had to beat St. Peter's. We were hopeful that we're going to see at least one more strong performance out of the Peacocks. Didn't happen. He can really see it uh, off the bounce uh, yesterday. But still, we're going to talk about the 22 NCAA tournament. Yeah, if it ends in K cultivating his career and coming to the end with the championship, that will be long remembered. Even just getting here to the Final Four. But St. Peter's, that's one that's going to live on for a very long time. Take us through a a somewhat local team for you, St. Peter's and the Peacocks. Yeah, I I mean, it was a great story. Um, Shaheen Holloway did a great job coaching those guys up. They did something that I don't think anybody expected, and I don't think people really realize uh, how how cash-strapped and how um, the difference between that program and a program like Kentucky, right? Like St. Peter's is is a commuter school that basically has the funding of uh, a decent Division II, Division III program. And they went out and they beat uh, Kentucky and they beat Murray State and they beat Purdue. Um, but, you know, they, when North Carolina showed up, their ball pressure didn't work. North Carolina's guards were able to take advantage. And once they got behind, there was really nothing that they were able to do. Um, and, I mean, look, there's really nothing. You get to an Elite Eight, and there's really nothing you could say if you're a 15 seed. That was a great run. That was a memorable run. They did something that no one's ever seen before. And, uh, I think it's going to be a long time before we kind of forget the Peacocks. Yeah, absolutely. Then the Peacocks name had something to do with it. When they beat Purdue on Friday night, it was National Peacock Day. I mean, just talk about how ridiculous that is that it plays out in that fashion. I do want to go to Purdue, though. Matt Painter, another year, another talented roster, and another disappointing end. 
We talk here in the state of Iowa about Iowa's futility. Haven't been to a Final Four since 1980. Well, the team they played in the third place game back in 1980 were the Boilermakers with Joe Barry Carroll. Long time ago, how Purdue, with all the conference championships that they have, all the talent that has come through to not make a Final Four in 42 years, and this one has got to be towards the top of the list of what-ifs for the Boilermakers. Yeah, this one's disappointing. Um, when you when you get a bracket where you draw 15 seed in the Sweet 16, uh, you're kind of running low on excuses for mm-hmm. not being able to get the job done, uh, and they were not able to get the job done. Um, I think uh, Matt Painter is terrific at game planning. I- I'm starting to have some questions about uh, being able to make adjustments in game. Um, when you have Jaden Ivey and you can't find a way to get it going, you better give us a bunch of guys that play in the match. I think that's a bit of a red flag. Uh, but, you know, you kind of have to give some credit to St. Peter's there, too. They really, really stifled Purdue and took them out of what they wanted to run. And sometimes that happens. You know, it's, 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 part, of, uh, it's part of what the tournament is. But Purdue, uh, at some point you got to figure it's going to break their way, right? It's, it's, something good is going to happen for Purdue in the NCAA tournament at some point. It's just uh, it has not happened yet. So I saw the number, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but the amount of minutes this year the Travion Williams and Zach Eady played together, it was like a handful of minutes all season long. I get it. There's going to be plenty of matchups where it just won't work defensively, that you can't do it. But when you're out there and you're, you're throttling Nebraska-Omaha in the non-conference, you're beating Florida State by 30, you can't try that a couple of times. Give it a four-minute stretch a couple of those games early on. Why did they ever go to that one? And to see again Zach Eady just sitting there for the final eight minutes of the game, a guy that was, at the very least, an okay free throw shooter. We're not talking about Shaq here and a liability at the line that he was. How they never could find a way to play those guys together or play Eady at all at the end of games. Yeah, I just I don't think that you can play two five men together. That's like that to me. That's the biggest knock on Purdue um, from what they were this season is that two of their three best players were never going to be on the floor at the same time, mm-hmm. and. In in the modern era of basketball, I just I don't know how you play two centers together. And, and at the end of the day, when you have two centers on the floor at the same time, or when you have two centers on your roster that are both really really good players, you're you're, you're going to struggle to get them. In. And I think they did about as well as you can considering. Um, it would have been my my biggest gripe was was uh, was Payne's inability to get Jaden Ivey into a full time point guard role. Um, to, that like to me, that's why they. They kind of struggled the way that they did, and they, and they were uh, unable to uh, find the ceiling that they needed to find um, this year. And, and I think we really saw that from the fruition uh, in the in the Sweet Sixteen game. Like if you had Jaden Ivey, man, he's the most explosive player in the country. You can't find a way to get him off against St. Peter's. Hmm. That's that's uh, to me that's that's the biggest criticism I have of, of that painter. It's less about getting Trevion and, and ZB on the floor or Zach Eby on the floor. This is ZB. With Zach Eady on the floor together, you got to put. Ivey is a special player, and he's one of the rare top three talents that's going to ever come through Purdue. Like Purdue does not normally get those guys, and you couldn't find a way to get it done. And it is um, is not the biggest compliment in the world to coaching. So the Big Ten as a whole, another disappointing tournament. It's been back to back. There's no two ways to put it. You have 18 teams that make the Big Dance the last two tournaments. Only three even advanced to the second weekend and no Final Four. Now, you can go the other direction. Over the last ten tournaments, the Big Ten has had the most teams make the Final Four. Of course, no championship. Big picture, Big Ten. Is there a problem? Is it cyclical? What do you think of Big Ten hoops going forward? Um, I, I mean, I, I just think it's 
we, we've talked about this for a while, right? With, with the Big Ten and all the sizes that they have and all the big bodies that they have, sometimes it's difficult to match up the people that are playing a more modern style of the game, right? I think the perfect example is, is Hunter Dickinson going up against Villanova. In theory, you would think that when you have an All-American seven-footer, they should be the guy that's able to get the, the advantage when you're playing someone like Villanova, who is perfectly fine playing six-foot-six Jermaine Samuels at the five. Um, but, you know, Jermaine Samuels got the best of that match. He had 22 points. He was able to uh, to pull Hunter Dickinson away from the basket and get to the rim. And to me, that kind of sums up the issues that the Big Ten has. They are a league that plays like it's still 1990 with guys like Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eadie and Kobe Coburn. And when you go up against these more modern teams that aren't afraid to guard you in a mismatch, uh, that's when uh, that's when you run into a little bit of trouble. Big 12 gets Kansas back to the Final Four. We've barely mentioned the Jayhawks. And in a run where Abaji didn't play his best, you got some Remy Martin going here. Still to advance Texas Southern, Creighton, Providence, Miami. Not exactly murder's row, but what that means for Kansas basketball. Bill Self, still possible sanctions hanging over that program's hill, but, head, but he's got a lifetime contract in another Final Four. Well, I, I, think, it's, I think it's pretty incredible. Um, that given everything that they're going through, right? Look at the amount of talent that's on that roster. It's not what you would think a typical Kansas team would look like. How many guys on that team are going to end up playing in the NBA? Uh, Christian Brown will probably get an NBA paycheck some point. Uh, I would not be surprised to see Jalen Wilson be like a G League guy to get the call up. And McCormick's big enough and talented enough. He'll probably uh, be on our roster at some point. Rashad Baji's going to be a first-round pick. We'll see how long he ends up hanging in the NBA. But... Um, but it's not the typical level of Kansas talent. And Bill Self has done has gotten that group to the Final Four. Like I, I would make the argument this is probably the best coaching job that Bill Self has ever done, um, getting this team to, to the point that they're at right now. I just it, it's, it's remarkable to see, just like, Dewan Harris. That, that, that's who they're, they're – they're using a point guard that I, don't, I didn't even remember committed to the program, right? That's, it's just it's, – it's incredible to see what he's been able to do with that team. Kansas will get their shot against Villanova. How impactful is the Amore injury for Nova? They're a team that's going to grind you out. You have respect Jay Wright and what he's been able to do. But with no Justin Moore, how different is this Villanova team going to be against the Jayhawks? I mean, it's a brutal loss. I and mean, I really, really feel bad for the kid, right? Like, you, you go through everything that they went through with COVID last year. You go through losing the 2020 NCAA tournament. You go through not having Colin Gillespie in last year's NCAA tournament, and you finally get back to the Final Four, and the game's already decided, and you end up popping an Achilles um, in what was – it wasn't quite garbage time, but in a game that was already decided right before you get to the Final Four. It's just it, – it's awful. And, you know, I do think Villanova has the pieces to be able to win a national championship this year. And look, frankly, they're still good enough to go out there and win two games. That's all you got to do. And their lineup right now, if you can roll out there, Colin Gillespie – Caleb Daniels, Brandon Slater, Jermaine Samuels, Eric Dixon. That five right there is good enough to, to beat Kansas. Um, there's two issues, though. One, you're not going to be able to have the roster flexibility and the lineup versatility that you did against Michigan. You're not going to be able to play Jermaine Samuels at the five because you have five guys. Um, and that hurts. Two, J- Justin Moore is probably their best uh, isolation score. You know, Colin Gillespie makes a lot of these good decisions and makes a lot of good shots, but when uh, when it comes to um, crunch time, what they basically do is they give the ball to Justin Moore, and he's the most dynamic guy to have offensively. Not having that is going to hurt. 
is probably their best shooter. That's going to end up hurting. Uh, so I think that their odds are significantly lower. But look, I, right now at Bet Rivers, it's Villanova plus four and a half. I will be on Villanova on that line. I think the game is going to be played in the low 50s, and I, they're going to make it ugly, and they're going to have a chance to win this thing down the stretch. I don't know if they're going to, but I think they're going to keep it close. Rob, we will talk to you next Monday and get ready for the national championship game. It'll be, well, we will see. Hopefully a couple of good ones on Saturday. Don't don't party too hard on Sunday night, okay? We're going to be talking to you. That, that'll be 11.05 Central Time as you'll be in New Orleans. I can't make any promises. Right, that's how we like it. Rob Doster, Field of 68. Thank you, Rob. Later. Rob Doster as he joins us here during college basketball during the season here at the kickoff uh, time 11.05 each and every Monday and he'll be back with us previewing the national championship game next Monday. Due for a quick timeout when we come back on the other side we're going to turn our attention to a team that hasn't been playing for a couple of weeks. The Iowa Hawkeyes will talk basketball what they're looking to do roster construction for Hawkeye basketball we talked about that with the Cyclones in our number one and plenty of spring football with Scott Docterman. He joins me next. Take it up until noon it's Miller and Condon on 106.3 Des Moines homeowners have two questions. What's the best time to rent out my home? And what's the best way to do it? The best time is when you're moving, relocating, combining households, inheriting a house, or you just don't want to pay a mortgage anymore. The best way to rent? Hire Renner's Warehouse. Whether you have one home or a property portfolio, Renner's Warehouse does the work so you don't have to. They perfectly price your property so you don't have to. They find great tenants in just 17 days on average so you don't have to. And for a small, flat monthly fee, their professional landlords manage your property 24-7 so you don't have to. Collect the rent? You don't have to. Maintenance, inspections, and tax paperwork? You don't have to. There's no upfront fees, no binding contracts, and you can cancel at any time. Find out what your home will rent for by calling 515-528-4429 or go to renterswarehouse.com. That's renterswarehouse.com. Renters Warehouse, Des Moines. You can't buy happiness. The Chicken Coop is the place for great food and wings with three metro locations. The Chicken Coop has the best, fresh, never frozen wings. Buffalo, garlic jalapeno, buck nasty, tropical heat, pepper teriyaki, garlic parmesan, and so much more. Along with steaks, burgers, ribs, and a children's menu for the little ones. And don't forget about the Chicken Coop's daily lunch and drink specials. Catch all the games at the Chicken Coop in Ankeny, Urbandale. Global Direct Mail and Marketing is a local design and print shop that'll help you from start to finish. From design to printing and mailing it for you. From wedding invitations to birth announcements. And it's time to be thinking about those graduation announcements. No matter how big or small your project is, Global will work with you from creating a custom design to getting your project inserted into the mail. Global can design, print, and deliver. And Global can help your business grow with custom mailers designed to help you bring new customers through your doors. Located on 121st Street in Urbandale or call Craig at 515-282-3000. It's Global Direct Mail and Marketing. But you can rent it. For all of your and your family's eye care needs, make it Elite Eye Care.
Dr. Ethan Heisman, Dr. Macy Dealman, Dr. Heidi Bell, and Dr. Kelsey Sawatsky provide expert eye care close to home. From eye exams to contact lenses, eyeglasses to sunglasses make elite eye care your local optometrist. In introducing Vision Therapy. Vision Therapy is a doctor-supervised, non-surgical, and customized program designed to correct vision problems. Set up your next eye care appointment with Elite Eye Care, University Avenue on the Waukee-West Des Moines border, or the Eye Company in Ankeny, and online at iDrDoing.net. Continues 106.3 KXNO. Ken had to step out here for the final hour of the show today. He'll be back with us, though, tomorrow morning here at 10. Right now, time to turn our attention over to the Hawkeyes. Spring football is up and running. Plenty to get into with Scott Dockerman. And when you hear that 80s music, you know it's time to talk with Doc. What's happening, Scott? Hey, doing well. How you doing? Doing well here, and a lot of spring football. Certainly want to break down, talk about it. Had a really good piece earlier this week, uh, last week, excuse me, on Wednesday, going through some of the big questions of Iowa football. And we'll get to that momentarily, but offseason is here for basketball. Iowa, great run through the Big Ten tournament and towards the end of the season, but roster construction. I know football is your main gig over there at The Athletic and what you do. You are the Iowa football writer, but basketball seeps in from time to time. I'm going to guess, though, you don't miss the part of chasing, and certainly today's day and age, trying to figure out what rosters are going to look like at the same level you had to at some of your past stops. (laughs) Oh, I I think it's fine. You know, it's always intriguing, and, you know, I, I do it. I don't do it quite with the level of intensity that I once did, but I think you know, whether it's talking to you, Trent, every Monday or other people, I, you know, you have to, you have to plan on this. And right now, I think Iowa has questions. Uh, you know that Jordan Bohannon finally has exhausted his, his uh, um, you know, eligibility. And I think, you know, Keegan Murray, you, you should expect him to go. It'd be a shock if he didn't. I think, you know, there are some other questions. I mean, you know, will Chris Murray decide to, to just, you know, at least get some feedback? He probably should. And if uh, some NBA team, if he handles some of those practices well, uh, then some NBA teams should really, you know, say to him, look, you know, you, you can come to the NBA and be kind of uh, on a two-way deal for your first year between the G League and the NBA and, and you know, really bet on that upside. I mean, it might be hard for him to come back. So, um, you know, there's a lot of questions there, but I, I think overall that – um, they did prove that this could have been a very much a rebuilding year, but uh, Iowa really exceeded at least my expectations, and I would say probably most people's too. Until they get to the second weekend, that's going to be the, the biggest knock for a lot of the fan base against what Frey McCaffrey has done. But when you look at the program, where they are, where they kind of sit in the pecking order of the Big Ten, how good of a job do you think that he has done now over the last dozen years? Oh, if you want to ask me big picture, I think he's done a good job. Um, you know, I mean, a B level, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, he's turned around the program. Um, but you know, after 12 years, you know, there, there's really no more qualifiers about what it was like before he was there. This is his program it has been for a long, long time. I mean, he was there a lot longer than even Steve Alford was. So I think what you've got to look at is say, you know, how has he done? Well, over the last 10 years, um, he's only had one losing season in the big 10 and, 
Uh, only two other programs can say that, and that's Michigan State and Wisconsin. So that's, that's obviously a plus. He gets the NCAA tournament with regularity with different rosters. That's also a plus. Uh, but I think right now what I think the big picture in this state that people should ask themselves is, um, would you rather have what Iowa had or would you rather have what Iowa State had this year? And Iowa had a, a really good regular season, finished very strong, won a conference tournament, and then and then flamed out in the first round. Or would you rather have what Iowa State had, which was really kind of holding on by their fingernails at the end of the year to get into the tournament, 7-11 in the Big 12, um, getting pounded in the in the league tournament, but making it to the Sweet 16. My guess is people prefer the latter. I think right now the answer is more people are happy with what happened at Iowa State than what happened at Iowa, and it shows you exactly what the emphasis on a season ought to be and what it is. That's a good way to put it. And yeah, what would you rather sign up for? And you're right. I think a majority of people would sign up for what Iowa State did. It's just those those two games to get you to that second weekend, the buildup leading to the Sweet 16. It's so important for a program. And Iowa, it's been since 1999 since I've been able to feel that. Doc, let's jump over to some football here. Spring football continues. And, and at the top of your column at The Athletic on Wednesday, of the eight questions facing Iowa football, the first one, it just struck me because the way that it was put together, I think, is perfect. Just how open is Iowa's open quarterback competition? The rhetoric has been there. Kirk has said the right things. We've heard the right things about it's an open competition. Yet I still struggle to think up to game number one, Labor Day weekend, and anybody other than Spencer Petrus is going to be trotting out of that field. Injury aside, I think it's going to be his. I don't see anybody else. Help me out here. Fill me in and maybe talk me off this ledge because I'll tell you what, I just don't want to see it. I'm ready for somebody else. Yeah, that's going to be the, a difficult a couple of months, I think, for Iowa fans is if Spencer Petrus is the best quarterback on the roster, then he deserves to start. Mm-hmm. And, and I know a lot of Iowa fans right now want anybody else. They'll, they'll take some guy who transferred from some school and he's the guy, and they'll take him over what they already have because um, what they've had is been below average play at quarterback, frankly. I mean, when you have somebody like Spencer Petras, who I've always said is one of the more intelligent football quarterbacks I've ever been around at any level, including the NFL, who uh, understands the game at a high level, who has a big arm, and, uh, you know, has some swag to him. I mean, you like that, but the problem is, um, if you can only complete 55% of your passes, you better be able to run for thir- first downs on third and eight, and you can't do that. And we've seen two years of it, and so it better really improve, or it's going to be a really tough year for fans to accept that. And, you know, we want to talk about what we just did with basketball. I mean, in football, they had a 10-win season, and they were ranked as high as number two, but, you know, kind of you know losing some games late last year, I mean, it really – colored it in a different light so i I think right now that uh, it is open i think they want to see where everybody fits Um, my guess is right now if they started if they had a game on saturday it's going to be spencer petrus but that also means i don't think you convince alex padilla to return if he didn't have a legitimate chance at winning the job and now you have a different set of eyes at the quarterback coach position um, that maybe Brian Ferentz is looking for something a little bit different than, than Ken O'Keefe, who usually skewed towards experience. So I think right now it's open, uh, but I think, you know, I mean, Spencer Petrus is in the lead. 
He's got the certainly a step up on everybody else. Daka, let's jump over to the offensive line. Offensively, I think that's a big piece of what we're going to see this year. Of course, when you see Logan Jones go from defensive line to offensive line in the center position, everybody jumps to the conclusion, all right, well, they got Tyler Linderbaum. Oh, that worked out pretty well. The same thing's going to happen here. Maybe want to pump the brakes. But one way or the other, if the interior of the offensive line, they're probably going to be okay. Isn't it still the tackle spot that is the biggest thing? Iowa needs to get back to having certainly plus play at the tackle spot, something that didn't happen a year ago. There's a lot of questions there. I mean, I think there's a lot of questions from all five spots um, because there's not a lot of experience there. And they've had a lot of attrition, and they've had a lot of uh, you know recruiting that didn't work out. And that's really been the case, especially in state outside of uh, Tristan Wurst for a long time, because as we remember, Lenderbaum was a defensive tackle uh, to start his career. Now, I think there is a lot of talent, too, but it's going to take some time for it to catch up, and it's not going to get a lot of that on in practice because the defense is very, very good. I think based in Richmond, you know, we've overlooked this for a lot. He was not necessarily good last year, but he was a starting left tackle as a redshirt freshman. That's a big deal. Um, I think you look at Connor Colby as a true freshman, started at guard for 10 games. That also is a big deal. How much, uh, how much better do they get? I think that's really going to be indicative of how this line plays. You also need your typical Iowa good story, and that's somebody like a Jack Senior. Um, he's been you know, below average, let's say, in mm-hmm. that position over his career. But if he can become the prototypical Iowa good story that near five, he becomes what maybe Ross Reynolds was or a Keegan Render, obviously in a different position, but still. Then I think you're looking at a unit that's that's growing together if Justin Britt stays healthy. But I'm also adding a lot of ifs, yeah. and that's not always what you want. And, of course, at center, is it going to be Tyler Ellsbury? Is it going to be Logan Jones, who has two different um, school records? In, or at least uh, program records in weightlifting, can that transition over to the offensive line? So a lot of questions, a lot of ifs. That's what the spring is for, to kind of solidify them, see where they are. Um, I do like the, the makeup. I think they're going to be a good unit, but I also think that they're probably a year away from being a great unit, and so I don't know how much that helps this year. Doc, you said something that kind of tripped in my mind. You talked about, of course, Brian now becoming the the quarterback coach, maybe looking for something a little bit different than O'Keefe. He's still the offensive coordinator, but do you expect differences? Ken O'Keefe's fingerprints were still on you know, that Iowa offense. Do you anticipate that we're going to see a different kind of look? Not schematically. Look, they're not going five wide. They're not going triple off. Nothing's ultimately going to change. It's still going to be a quote-unquote pro-style offense, but... How many tweaks or wrinkles or, or changes do you expect to see with the offense now with him as a quarterback coach and, and a different set of eyes, as you said? Uh, that that's, remains to be seen. I mean, I haven't even laid eyes on any of their practices, and right now they're really not doing anything other than fundamental work mm-hmm. for the most part. So that's really tough to say. I will say this, though, that Ken was really in charge of quarterback recruiting. Who Ken wanted, Ken got. And, you know, yeah, there were missteps, but really, by the numbers, they weren't. I mean, when you look at Spencer Petrus, um, he was miles ahead ratings-wise than Zach Wilson and certainly Trey Lance when they recruited him. However, we know how that ended up. Uh, I think when you look at that, you've got to say, well, maybe, you know, Ken was looking for somebody who had high completion percentage, who could get in and out of different issues. 
but we, we look at what Brian may look at. He may look at somebody who's able to get to run a little bit more. So I think the future may depend on more so who they recruit out of that position as opposed to uh, any kind of tweaks or differences in the in the scheme and what have you. Get you out on this, Doc, little NFL draft talk. I know how much you love the NFL draft, and we're uh, a month away, April 28th on Thursday. That thing will get started. Tyler Linderbaum, hey, here it comes again. Arms are too short. Don't want them. I don't want him. No, I want him. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, this this continual circle that we go through as we break down prospects, and we have nearly four months to to talk about each of them, and we're trying to find warts here. The Tyler Linderbaum thing. I mean, come on, put on the tape. Why, why is Armling suddenly becoming a problem for some of these self described scouts? Well, I, I think everybody puts people in different categories and just kind of goes from there. And, and you know, there are certain measurements and, and certain times and, that you really need if you're from that position, and then there are others that don't really matter. Like if he was a left tackle, yes, you do need longer arms because you're going to face defenders who can get into you and, and make you move. And that's for sure. And I think you need a fast 40 if you're playing cornerback more than any of the other positions because of recovery speed and, and flexibility and what have you. But in his case, I don't think that's that's really valid because I think what you would knock him for more is if you run a, let's say, a, a power-style offense like a Wisconsin, that maybe you want somebody a little heavier. Um, that, But in his case, that, that it's irrelevant. So I, I think what you're going to see with a lot of the mock drafts, certainly we just had one with all of our beat writers, is that you're going to see him get pushed out of the first round, mainly because center is not as valued, it's not as sexy in these types of mock drafts. But when you get NFL evaluators looking and saying, this guy will step in, he'll be an immediate starter, he'll solidify our offensive line, and he'll set the tempo for everything we're asking him to do. Plus, go out and dominate. Yeah, he's going to be a he's going to be a top twenty five pick in this draft. So, I think right now you're, we're, we've gotten to the crazy period. It's going to get a little bit old, and mm-hmm. you just got to look past it a little bit. Who has the longer NFL career? I know injuries are always an impactful part of this, but three guys uh, that might hear their name drafted late: Matt Hankins, Tyler Goodson, or Van Volkenberg. Of those three. Who do you think is best equipped to have the longest NFL career? Uh, that's a great question. I probably would go with Matt Hankins, even though I think he might be uh, an undrafted free agent. But mm-hmm. I think once he's completely healthy, he's shown he can play an elite level in college. And uh, I think the right team gets him in there. He could stick around for a long, long time. I mean, running backs are, I dare to say, dime a dozen. Sometimes right. it's hard to get past that first contract. And Zach Van Valkenburg, um, you know, it. It's tough to play at that level for a long time on the edge if you don't have a certain, you know, I mean, if you don't have a burst or a strength or you can't do anything you know, at, at a, just an all-time elite level. It's kind of like being a, a 6'4 power forward. <laughs> Sometimes you just don't have it. I'm not saying he can't play. I'm just saying that out of the three that you mentioned, um, Matt Hankins would be the guy. Now, if you're adding Dane Belton, I would put Dane Belton. Yeah. He's probably number two out of the Iowa prospects. And that's why I left him out of there, Doc, because I'm with you. I think Belton's got a really good chance here and, and feels like maybe his best football is still well in front of him. He's got a chance. Hey, final thing, Jack Kerner, going to be an undrafted free agent, certainly. Does he got a real chance to stick the Dylan Catholic grad? 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, his numbers are, are fantastic. And, and I think, you know, when you combine that with what he brings from a mental standpoint, that I think a lot of teams are going to really look hard at him. And, and I'm not saying he's not – I don't think he's going to get drafted – but I think he's going to get land with a team, and I think he's probably going to be a minimum of practice team guy this year because he could probably play multiple roles. He could probably bulk him up and have him play, you know, sub-package type linebacker because he's big and physical and strong, and he's also quick enough, and he, he shows a lot of flexibility. So I do believe he will have more of an opportunity, and if you would have included him on those four, that foursome, mm-hmm. made it a foursome, I, I would have probably put him at number one. Wow. I do think Jack, Jack Kerner – has a real chance of of lasting for a handful of years in the NFL, and that's all you can really ask for at a guy in his position. Great stuff. Scott Dockerman with The Athletic. Of course, Athletic, always great deals going on. If you are a sports fan and you like reading, there is no place better than The Athletic. Doc, as always, thanks for the time. We'll do it again soon. All right. Thanks so much for having me. appreciate it. Scott Dockerman. Find him on Twitter, at Scott Dockerman. As we take our final time out, come back, put a cap on things with our Circa plays of the day. It's a light slate. We got some NBA, women's basketball. Yeah, I'm looking at those Elite Eight games. We got some picks for you when we come back. It's Miller and Condon. Right. Get in on the action with the world's largest sports book. Right at your fingertips. Circa Sports Iowa is where the pros play. Enjoy the highest limits, lowest takeouts, and competitive betting menus. Download, fund, and bet from anywhere in Iowa. Circa Sports Iowa. Sports betting the way it should be. Download your new bookie today. Visit CircaSports.com. Must be over 21 and present in Iowa to bet. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. You remember the last walk-off homer to win the World Series. It's been a while, but the answer is 1993. Do you know when Wolf Roofing started roofing houses? That's right, 1993. Wolf Roofing has been around for a long time. For your next roofing project, put the experience of Wolf Roofing on your side. Find them on the web at wolfroofing.net or give them a call at 515-225-8866. Or online, Wolf Roofing for details. Victory Mounds is your ace when it comes to premium baseball and softball products and services. Utilizing our vast game and industry expertise, we sell portable pitching mounds, field equipment, and field products that we trust, use, and have used when coaching or playing. But that's not all. Victory Mounds Field Consulting Services can help you improve the quality and playability of your field. Craig Allison has years of experience in the mound business and is Victory Mounds National Sales Executive, while Mike Donahoe is in charge of field equipment and products. Visit VictoryMounds.com to see what Victory Mounds can do for you. And you- it's gambling trip, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Trent's Pick of the Day is brought to you by Circus Sports. Download the Circus Sports app today to play with Trent or against him. Welcome back as we roll through and put a cap on things with our Circus Sports Play of the Day. Short on time, one game that jumps out to me. We talked about a little bit the Bulls this season. David Kaplan, when he joins us, talks about against good teams, how much they've struggled. Well, they don't play a good team tonight. They play the Knicks. Knicks are not very good. But I'm going to grab the points here at home at MSG. Give me the Knickerbockers. And a second pick over to some women's basketball. I understand They are not the higher-seeded team. But Paige Becker's back for UConn, the UConn women. I'm going to lay the four tonight against NC State. That'll do it. Two picks tonight, one in the NBA, one in the women's game. 
Final Four coming up this weekend. We got a lot coming your way. That'll do it for the show today. Murph and Andy comes your way at one. The Fanatics at three. It's 106.9.